Hello, and welcome to In Trust. My name is Rick Kitagawa. And my name is Lisa Zambayar. And thanks for joining us for our show about the most valuable asset today, trust. Today, we're delighted to be joined by the cartographer of the future and the executive director of the Tsai Foundation, Steve Frost. Steve is an artist, author, consultant, and community organizer. And Steve does extraordinary and super generous work at the intersection of creativity, culture, and community that helps people build connection and resilience so they can navigate transformational and systemic change. Steve, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for being here, Steve. And for folks who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Yeah, well, I, I'm a part of Tasai, an artist collective here in Vancouver, and we do cross-discipline, cross-cultural, collaborative art making. Uh, a lot of it is around poetry work. So kind of poetry like you've never seen it before. Very often blending Japanese language and English language. So a lot of translating happens and it's uh, super fun. And in, in doing that, kind of exploring, you know, radical ways of gathering, new ways of being together, kind of paying attention to how we collaborate. And then White Box Creative Consulting is then about like, what can we sort of generalize from what we learn as artists about how we collaborate and how we do what we do and help other people collaborate better and create better, create more things, create more art. We need more art. Um, Amen. <laughs> heck yes, heck yes. I want to dive into a descriptor I used in introducing you and I really enjoyed watching you step into this descriptor for the last little while and that's cartographer of the future. And knowing you, I think this is a wonderful and very fitting description. And I want us to take an opportunity and pack it a little bit more for our listeners. So I'm curious if you can share what does being a cartographer of the future mean to you? And also, why are you so reluctant to give people a map? <laughs> well, as we all discovered in 2020, all our maps got burned. So if you become <laughs> dependent on maps, then you're kind of hooped. So yeah, I, I think it comes from that metaphor of how we navigate the world and so much of our world sort of legacy organizations and systems are based on stuff we already know, how we already know how to do things. And then we just sort of organize that, manage that and make it more efficient. But that isn't the world we're in anymore. And so much of our world is uncertain. We don't know what's coming. I mean, you know, 2020 showed us that we, there, there's a lot we think we know. And then reality kind of reminds us that we don't necessarily. And, you know, so if you don't have the map, then what do you, what do you do? How do you move? Like you just stand in paralysis and not move, which I, like I, I had my share of that during COVID where you do feel that paralysis, but there is a, a way to move. And if you think about the people who traveled, explored, the cartographers who made the maps, what did they do? How did they move and operate in the world? And what capacities did they have that allowed them to do that? And I think it's a, a good metaphor to think about what leadership moving into the future looks like. I think we need to sort of radically reimagine what leadership is. Uh, in the past, it's been about power. It's been about having the answers. And it, it just can't be because we don't 
had the answers. You, you can't know. That's the whole thing of uncertainty is everybody is uncertain as to what's coming. So it's a whole different set of capacities. Uh, and one of those is if you don't have the answers, well, then what's your, how do you justify your existence as a leader? And I think one of the things you need to be able to do is to be able to build trust. If you imagine heading off on a, you know, we're going to make a map sail across the ocean. Um, the people you're heading out with, it's a risky proposition. And so there, there needs to be trust with the people you're heading out with. And that's more and more what every day is looking like for people who work together now. That's so cool, Steve. I love the way that you're really leaning into that uncertainty that the whole world has been thrown into. I mean, even with the fact that there's multiple COVID vaccines being rolled out, it's still kind of like when and if, and you know, is the world going to go back to what it looked like? Does that actually make sense? How is it going to be changed? We're in such an unprecedented time of upheaval of what we know. I love the fact that you've really embraced the fact that life is uncertain, right? And even when society was kind of the way it was pre-COVID, there's still uncertainty. We just, I think a lot of us refuse to accept how uncertain things were because like, oh yeah, everything is predictable when, when obviously, as we found out, it's not. The work that you do, I think, you know, you mentioned things like collaboration and we've seen, you know, the connection, the creativity, curiosity, community, caring, change, right? It's uh, a lot of, a lot of C words. Um, and I would love to know if you could share a little bit about how those words and those, and this, and what those actually mean and how that ties into your endeavor and the work that you're really doing today. Well, I think it's worth framing the the reality of the world we're in today. I, I, I was just in a, a course that was just sort of about the reality we're in. And so, it, you know, honestly, looking at the fact that we're confronting uh, ecological collapse, economic collapse, social collapse, those are not popular things to say. Like no one wants to look at that. It's kind of like land acknowledgement. You know, if you don't do that, like in Vancouver now, people are acknowledging when they gather, we're, we're on unceded territory. There's something to saying upfront, this is the way it is. And, and I think there's something to saying upfront, this is the reality we're facing. And we can either have a, an optimistic outlook and say, everything's going to be okay. Usually it's like technology is going to save us. The between the lines of that is then I don't have to do anything or it's all going to just go to hell in a handbasket anyway. And the between the lines of that is like, and I don't have to do anything. And I think the, the disposition that I see you guys taking the people I, I want to be with is a, a position of hope and hope says, honestly says, I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's all going to work out, but there's things that are worth doing because they're, they're right and good. And so I, I find myself captured by hope. And I think it's worth saying up front, this is the context we're in, because that situates everything I, I do within that. And I try to have fun and enjoy my life and, and do fun things with my friends. But behind it is this reality that we're, we're moving into. And it's going to take yeah, some fundamental transformational change on a deep, deep level. So for instance, the, like the word collaboration, 
gets tossed around. And so often collaboration just means I'm going to get you to help me do the thing I, I want to have done. <laughs> so especially in a hierarchical context where people have power over other people, it's really difficult to uh, get genuine collaboration. You really have to actively work against structures of power to have genuine collaboration. So I, I think collaboration requires, that's one of the first things it requires is sort of a radar for power and not even how much power do I have, but how much power am I perceived to have? How do people respond to me and who I am? And it takes everyone collaborating to be always consciously aware of that and, and willing to shift and change. And I, I think collaboration is really saying, I, I'm willing to become a different person by the end of this project, whatever it is we're collaborating on. Because to collaborate, you're, you're collaborating not subject to object, you're collaborating subject to subject, person to person. And the stories you come into contact with, um, we were talking a little bit briefly about an Eastern and Western way of seeing the world and a Western way of seeing the world is very subject object. I, I am a subject in the world, the world is out there an object, but a more Eastern way of, of seeing it is a more connected way of seeing the world, the relationality of context. And so me relating subject to subject to people. And so I am, if I'm collaborating with them, their stories aren't objects that I hold at arm's length that I can look at as some exotic object, but their stories hold me and our stories hold each other. And those stories hopefully change us. So we're, we're being changed as human beings, even as we're making things together, which I think is most, if not all of the whole point. <laughs> <laughs> we make things together, but we're making ourselves. We're making our own uh, identity as human beings as we collaborate together. That's amazing, Steve. And I mean, I feel like so many different tangents and amazing wisdom and insight got dropped in just that one answer that I'm, I'm struggling to be like, which, which thread do I want to pull? Um, one thing I, I want to just call in is your focus on how how relational I think one, the world, but specifically since we focus a lot on organizational structure, how much work is relational and that switch from power over to something that we like to call power with. And that I think getting to the spirit of what you're talking about collaboration, but something you said at the very beginning that I, I wanted to go back to before I lose it is you mentioned this ability to straddle fun of like going out and, you know, having enjoyable times with your friends while also acknowledging the potential for incredible disasters in the future for incredible systemic injustices happening around us. And I feel like you said, like there's that hope aspect of understanding that things might be bad, but I'm still going to do something. How might others be able to embrace that at a greater level? Because I feel like that's really challenging for a lot of people to be able to do where you're not ignoring something, but you're acknowledging it and still going out and living, you know, a happy life with mm. your family and friends. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> well, I'll say up front, it's not, I don't feel like I got it figured out at all. And it's just not easy. This is a, historically the role of the poet 
and I'll use that in a really broad term, sort of the heart and voice of a poet who has a way of seeing the way things really are, acknowledging the, the truth of things and not being overwhelmed by that, not being consumed by that and articulating some kind of meaning, some sort of future orientation, meaning making that isn't disconnected fantasy, is connected to people's reality and isn't constrained by what seems possible. And that's some delicate wires to balance on. But I think that's that's been the role of poets and that's kind of the role we're all needing to rediscover. I think it's been pretty atrophied in everybody for a long time and we're needing to figure out how to kind of be poets again. And I, I think one of the things, um, so much of this starts in, in our own experience and our and how we treat ourselves when I mean, we talk about trust and it's like i need to learn how to trust myself how do you know how do i how do i do that we can talk about sort of authoritative organizations or context but that, that's inside of me i can treat myself in a really domineering way and exert power over myself in a way that's completely damaging and not helpful and so as i learn to do that in myself then I, I learned to trust myself. I also learned to trust my capacity to, to be in uncertainty, to be in these kind of contexts. And I, I think having controlled experiments, if you will, in discomfort, I, I'm going to do something that slightly scares me a little bit on a regular basis and be curious about that and see how it is and not judge myself in that, but do slightly scary things. So I slowly trust myself and how I show up. And I have, I mean, that's literally self-confidence. I have confidence in myself to do that. And then it, it doesn't make it any like less scary when it comes uh, to something that maybe you don't have complete control over, but you flex that muscle a little bit of being okay with uncertainty, being okay with ambiguity and how I operate and move in that. And so then when the stakes are higher, I have some some confidence. So I'm not just pulling something out of thin air, like I can do this. And then, you know, I can't, Oh shoot. Now what? And, and I think that that's part of it too, is this, you got this cultures and there's something powerful to that. Like you got this and that, you know, have that affirmation for people, but also, and sometimes you don't got this and that's also okay. And, and I think that level of, uh, graciousness with ourselves allows it to extend to other people and and when it's that genuine then when those people say to me you got this then i i kind of believe them and i I believe it a little at a little deeper level i think you very poetically got to the core of resilience and how resilience kind of weaves through that relational nature of our relationship with ourselves and our relationship with other people and how that really becomes the fiber of our social fabric that connects all of us. And I, I just want to call in there was when you were talking about collaboration as well, you're reminding me of something from, it was a third year neuroscience class a long time ago. And it was something at the time blew my mind, but I think you gave me another, a deeper understanding of that just now. And I'm really grateful for that. And it was, our professor was talking to us, we were learning about mirror neurons. So when you do something or say something, there are neurons in my brain that fire off. So if I see you move your hand, there's, there's neurons in my brain that fire off. And the question that 
the professor asked at the time was it just it begs the question when you you see that you know that about a biology is where do you end and where do I begin? Mm. And you just gave me such a more profound insight as to collaboration as it really is this unity and something that we're both being changed through what we're creating, what we're co-creating together at that level. And I I just want to pull on a thread that Rick was asking, especially in this this context of hope, because I think and I've seen in your work, and you talked about ex- experimentation, but I think another other words I've seen used are practice and play. And how you weave practice and play into very deep level, very challenging systemic change in communities that have been working to do this for decades and have been at an impasse. And I'm curious if you can shed a little bit of light about what practice mm. and play means for you in your work, whether it's as an artist staring at a blank canvas or when you're coming to a space in community with other people and looking at how do we co-create the conditions for change? Well, I'll just leap off that metaphor of standing in front of a blank canvas. And, and that's how I learned about dealing with ambiguity and uncertainty, <laughs> standing in front of a blank canvas. And I, I paint abstractly. I trained as a painter and paint abstractly. So when I start a painting, uh, it's a completely intuitive process. So action painting is another way of talking about it. And I don't know what it's going to be. I, I and intentionally have no intention for the painting when I start, and I just start. Over time, of course, I develop my own language, if you will, sentences, words, visual sentences, words that, that arise, come up. But when I start, I, I don't know what's going to happen until I make the first mark. And that's a potentially terrifying moment. And to trust yourself to make the mark and do something with it. And so that that trust coming up again, if you think too much about it and you get too bound up in it, then you get stuck. And there's this, you know, people talk about being in the zone and sports people talk about this, but there's, there's a, a way and it's a lot like surfing, right? Like you're not in control of the wave by any means, but you're not just like flopping around in the wave either. You're, you're kind of surfing this wave. You're in this like controlled free fall and um, painting when it's going well is that same kind of thing there. I, I'm a conscious thinking human being. I have cognitive capacities. Um, so that's coming to it and I'm kind of letting it go. So the, the sort of writing and editing thing have to be in balance and, and there's a flow that comes from that. So not overthinking it, but it's also not just like random marks that are showing up on a, on a canvas. So I think bringing that, that to groups of people, um, a sense of play. And there has to be, uh, the word that comes to mind is non-preciousness. <laughs> so, Cause you can, you can be painting and then you start kind of thinking about what this is gonna be too much. And you get too sort of, I am gonna make it this and it, it can't become what it wants to become. And so you, you need to approach it with a, a certain amount of non-preciousness. You have to be willing to, for the whole thing to get wrecked to be able to do it successfully. And uh, so, I, and I think with groups of people uh, approaching things with a sense of playfulness is a way to, to bring that about. I, I remember being in a, a community where they're caring for people with mental health issues 
and the people saying the, the people that come here to live. So it's basically folks living with folks with mental illness. And it was like the people who come here to fix everybody, they last about three months. The people who come here to just be with people and joke and play around and do whatever and just live together, they end up staying for years and years. And that's always stuck with me that, you know, if I go into collaboration, I'm going to like fix these people and they're going to like see it my way by the end of this thing isn't a good way to approach it. But if I'm, you know, not precious about myself or the thing we're making, but at the same time I'm doing it. So I'm giving it value and care and concern and my attention. And it's a, it's a delicate balance of how to approach this stuff. I think. I really love your emphasis on the need to abandon preciousness, Steve, especially around the outcome of a collaboration, because I feel a lot of leaders really try to force jobs and work into a very specific outcome sometimes. And and this gets me, and I want to mention something that really struck us about you, is your definition of leadership of if you're human, you're a leader, seriously. And I would love it if you could share more about this perspective and what leadership is and, and what it means to you. Uh, so many ways potentially to go. So I, I think it comes from this, this thing. We're moving into a future where it's not having answers. It's, it's about having good questions and about having capacities to navigate without the answers. And that gets to our like core creative capacities as a human being. And I, I deeply believe everybody, that's what makes us human as a, a core creative capacity. Um, I mean, you think of something as simple as a conversation, like it's magic, something that didn't exist in the world before. Two strangers can walk by each other and say hello. And just in that moment, like something that was in both of their heads now is outside of both of them. And that exchange occurred and they keep walking. Um, so our, our capacity to create stuff, I think we just overlook. And so our, our creative capacity is at the core of it, I think. And it's at the core of what leadership needs to be. I'm working on a, a model. I think lots of models are a good thing. So this isn't the model, but it's like one model to look at this is that people are creators, builders, and learners. And if you look at any group of kids in kindergarten, you, you can see that. <laughs> it's, it's like there. And that's kind of like the reactor core, right? This center in all of us is this creator, builder, learner. And I, I think leadership in the future is having some lenses around that, that sort of forms and shapes that energy that's in all of us. So we become artists, entrepreneurs, and researchers. And this kind of hybrid, not any one of those things, but all of those things together. And some people are stronger in one than another, but those kind of uh, capacities and approaches and mindsets that come with those things um, is, is where leadership's going to be heading. And I, I, and I, and I guess it also, 
I think leadership is going to be hybrid. I don't think we know what it looks like right now. Um, and it's going to be a, a mixing of things, things that maybe in the past haven't been together, need to be together. Um, so artist and entrepreneur, typically not something we would think of as being together. But I, I think there's a core capacities in each of those things that is at the center of, of what leadership needs to be in the future. This is why we need cartographers of the future to help us sit in that tension and look, yes. look out onto the precipice. I want to pull in a theme that I'm hearing in this and it's some bringing myself some into some of this too, because there's a word that you touched on a little bit and it's one that's really dear to my heart right now. And something I'm thinking about, and I think more that a lot of us are physically distant right now. And that's the word neighborly. And something I really appreciate in the model you just shared is that I think it sees possibility in each and every one of us. And something I see in your work too, is you see possibility in community, in neighborhoods. And so maybe I'm leading you here a little bit because I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about this other word about being neighborly and maybe a little bit more specifically how you see the relationship and connection between trust and neighborly. Mm, yeah. And I, I, I think neighborly is such a great word. I, even the word city is like, I can't be in the whole, like it's hard to get your head around, but a neighborhood I can understand. It's sort of a human scale for human interaction. One project we did was in a neighborhood, it's in the downtown east side in Vancouver, which, you know, it shows up in the news as a bunch of superlatives. It's like the poorest postal code in Canada and the worst this and the worst that. And it's a place I've been connected to for about 20 years. And I, you know, it's, I have friends there. There's people I know. I have relationships with people. And if you know the neighborhood down underneath the obvious part of it, yeah, there's a lot of poverty there. It's this beautiful connected community with incredibly resilient, resourceful people. And so there's something to knowing the people. And as long as it's an abstract issue, then it's easy to have opinions about it and think all kinds of things about it. But when you meet a person, then something else occurs. And so we, we set up a, a something, the whole point of it was to bring folks from the neighborhood together with some folks in a, a business and essentially set up a co-learning where they're learning something together. What they happened to be learning was Japanese calligraphy, which nobody knows. So everybody was equally like, I have no clue. <laughs> so no one got to feel like I have power and I know things. So it was intentionally setting up reciprocity where everybody gets to come with something to offer. So it was setting up this context where people who otherwise may not talk to each other uh, had a chance to just be together as human beings, as themselves. And, and setting up this co-learning environment, sort of let people shed their professional selves or whatever sort of roles they needed to take on uh, in the day and just kind of be themselves. And then people meet people. And that, that's the core of neighborliness. <laughs> it's just like, it's like, oh, a person. And neighborhoods aren't about issues. They're not about abstract issues. Neighborhoods are about people. And, but you need to find a way to to connect as people. And, and that's the really difficult thing. And for people who hold power or are perceived to hold power, even, I, I don't always feel like a powerful person. 
but I need to be aware of the perceived power I have when I walk through the downtown east side and, and act accordingly. And there's a lot uh, on me to act in a way that mitigates the power dynamics that can easily keep me separated from people in the neighborhood. And I need to act in a way that um, consistently, persistently act in a way that pulls those barriers down. So I, I have the opportunity to connect with people and it, and it's not, and this is why I love your word collaborating with you're doing things with people. As long as you're doing things for people, then that's a dividing word. There's something in between us, but if if I'm doing things with people, there's that image of, of turning shoulder to shoulder and we're walking now. And that's what happened in this project. We walked through the neighborhood together, people in the neighborhood, got to show people their neighborhood and we literally walk shoulder to shoulder through the neighborhood. That's a whole different dynamic doing things with people. That's amazing. As someone who's only visited Vancouver once makes me want to go and, and visit again and, and be your part of your neighborhood, Steve. And, and whether or not you want to dive into it with this specific example, I would imagine that there is a lot of trust that had to be built in order to get people from these two very, from an external view, these people from very different backgrounds to be in the same room together. And Mm -hmm. I would love to know if there's any patterns throughout the work that you've done that you've noticed when it really comes to earning and strengthening trust. Um, Well, I, I think one of the reasons that particular project worked was we had it emerged out of people I knew. So it wasn't like, let's do this project. And then we kind of found the people, but it was, it emerged out of um, prior relationship. And, and one of those relationships was someone who lives in the neighborhood and has been there for 15 years and just knows lots of people. You can't hack that. Like there's no way around that. There's just those two words, consistent, persistent, showing up consistently and persistently is just required. I have relationship with folks there because I've been journeying with people for, for 20 years. There's just no way around it. And it's one of those things. I think we want to find a way to make it go faster, especially when there's something urgent, like we feel the urgency of like COVID. It's like, okay, let's hack trust and do it quicker. But there's just no way around it. To me, relationship is the soil out of which everything grows. And, and if you think about it, if you talk to someone who knows soil, it takes 200 years to get two inches of soil. It's not a fast process. It takes a long time for soil to be there. And I, I think we often want to jump to just like, let's get the produce. Like let's, let's duct tape stuff to this tree so we can then like harvest it. And it, it just... It's relational soil from which things grow, and that that just takes time. Um, so, if anything, that's that's the one thing I've seen that I have to keep reminding myself: like this just takes time. It takes time to build relationships, time to build trusting relationships. That being said, there are ways to do it well. There are ways to let's say accelerate. <laughs> I don't think you can hack. It. I don't think you can get around it, but I think you can accelerate it and and it's it's mostly 
has to do with unlearning. I mean, it's so much of our world is about us being separate and self-sustained and self-sufficient. And so, so much of it is just giving people permission to drop some of that programming and connect with people as people. And then the trust builds fairly quickly. I just contradicted myself, but <laughs> it, it builds relatively quickly, but it still takes time. I don't know if you contradicted yourself or if you maybe just kind of put some fertilizer yeah, on the exactly. soil in that space, which I appreciate that metaphor a lot too, because we talk about trust being a plant. And sometimes it's a little seedling you have to nurture and there's other times it's perennial, but regardless needs watering, you have to make sure there's nutrients in the soil and always tending to it. So I think that's a beautiful way and bringing it even a step, a precursor to our work and looking at, at the soil and the conditions for that to form and looking at the, I love that. the time period for that, I think is really beautiful. Do you want, you want to go even deeper? You know, what blew my mind. Someone, someone was like, this is the soil person. It was like, yeah. And soil is just like layers and layers of dead things. Like, okay. And for me, this, the idea of grief and letting go is half the work. And in terms of art and being an artist every single day, I need to let go of who I was today. Like a, a, a pianist playing a scale. You're never playing it the way you want to play it. That's why you keep practicing it. That's why you keep playing it. The painter never paints the painting they want to paint. Poet never writes the poem they want to write. But you keep doing it. And so every day you put in the practice, you, you do what you're trying to do. And then you, you need to, I need to let go of who I was today. Grieve that so I can become who I'm becoming tomorrow. So this a, a daily cycle of grief, of letting go, um, means the soil builds that much faster, layers and layers of dead things. But no one wants to talk about death and grief. <laughs> well, maybe we do. I want to go a little bit further on this because I, this is really powerful. And the way that you're articulating it too is so clear, at least for me, and really vivid with the visual as well. And I'm there's a tension that I feel as you're talking about this. And I want to, I want to maybe just call that in and maybe we can explore this together a little bit. And I think in that space of letting go and grieving every day, and then you're stepping into possibility the next day and trying on whatever identity, what might be mm -hmm. again, it's that dance, that tension of uncertainty. And I'm, you've got a lot of practice in this. And I think it comes from your art. And again, that non-preciousness, that playful, but you do this in communion with other people. And I'm curious, how do you ground yourself in this work and ground yourself and trusting yourself as you're always, things are always changing. The ground is always renewing and re regenerating mm. underneath your feet. Well, on a, I mean, a really practical level, something that really opened up ways of being for me at a critical time in my life was contemplative practice or meditation or mindful practice. And that opens up an experiential way of knowing that's not about words that kind of grounds us in something. And, and if you look at, you know, wisdom traditions, and I'm not talking like 
lower level in out right wrong i'm good bad stuff i'm talking higher level uh wisdom tradition that all starts sounding a lot the same and a lot of it is this letting go work a, a sort of falling upwards one of my favorite writers talks about it that way and in the same way you can't you know you fall asleep i can't achieve my way to going to sleep i i fall asleep and so much of this work is like unlearning and and falling into it that counterintuitively grounds you in in something grounds you in a knowing uh, for a, a lot of people something outside of you so the source the universe i use the great mystery right now yahweh buddha god whatever your terminology the universe that there's a, a grain to the universe there's a way things work and there's a, a comfort in that and that the grain of the universe is is love and relationship and connection and it's one thing to say that and it's another to go to a place through contemplative practice and experience it on on some level so i i feel like i'm scratching the surface when i look at other people who've practiced this for a long time but but for me it's one of the things that grounds me is that kind of not rooted in words experiential knowing of some goodness out there this is super fascinating steve and i there's so many different directions that you you've kind of outlaid for us and in true cartographer of the future fashion you've left so many ways to go that i feel like this we definitely need to have a follow-up conversation but i'm mindful of our time and i would love to know what's coming up for you or what's coming up for you right now and i would love to just kind of float that your way yeah what's what's Coming up for me is starting to, I think that process of taking some of this stuff that we maybe intuitively know as artists and I've explored in collaboration and, and creating the, the people I'm working with, we talk about artifacts, we operate in circles rather than pyramids. And from the center of the circle, artifacts arise. And so creating artifacts that are useful and helpful to people navigating the world we're in now knowing that a lot of people are feeling feeling in a visceral way what uncertainty means so creating these artifacts is what what do people need what works what do people uh hope for i either in professional contexts and organizations because that's reality for so many people in the world today or you know people at home people trying to raise kids while they're trying to be a professional and say a mom at the same time. So what can we make as artists and uh, creatives that, that helps people is one of the things. And then in, in a really specific way, one of those things is uh, something called cafe to say hello. And so we're going to try and hold space every couple of weeks and create safe space to have meaningful conversations, holding in mind that this is the reality we're in, the things we've been talking about, you know, it's a serious situation, but at the same time, 
what's going on for you? What do you need? What do you need to connect to? What resources do you need? And I think, you know, everybody's a leader, but let's start with artists. Artists have some capacities already that fits the reality we're in. And so can we help artists lead well wherever they find themselves? Can we transform the arts so that it isn't a, a superfluous frill, but it, it's people start seeing the arts as the thing that makes us human. And that's the capacity we need moving into the future is to be human together. I think this is a really great teaser because we are going to have to have another conversation with you, Steve. And we didn't even really touch into circles and pyramids. And I would love to explore that. And I think that's a whole nother chat, but I, I want to say thank you to you for the work that you're doing and doing it with such, such graciousness and such care and, and such trust ultimately in, in yourself, but also just in the possibility in the process of what might come. And Rick and I have had this conversation before that I spent most of my career in, in science and technology and, and I feel like dancing with the arts along the way. And that was in the arts is where I found the humanity to bring back into science and technology. And in artists, I truly believe are some of the most incredible innovators and visionaries mm. in the world, yet they don't always see themselves that way or recognize the leadership in themselves that we need. And I think we need it so desperately right now. And I feel like you're a lighthouse or a light boat in this right now for artists and giving them a chance to step into their own possibility. And I'm so, so, so excited about that. So I want to kind of leave this on a cliffhanger a little bit for listeners so we can have a follow-up conversation. And as Rick was saying, there's so many threads to tug on here. And this has been truly just such a joy to get to be in this space with you and have this chat. And I want to, before we let people go, I'd love if you could share where people can find out more about you, about your work, about what to say is up to. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that. That's wonderful affirmation coming from you all. <laughs> and, and if I can say to, I just, I, it is like trust is the thing. It's the glue that makes everything work. That's, that's the one thing I found in all of my artistic collaboration and all the work I'm doing. And so thank you. Yeah. And if people want to find out more about Tasai, it's, uh, Tasai, T-A-S-A-I dot C-A or Whitebox is whiteboxworld dot C-A is uh, consulting that I'm doing. So either one of those. Amazing. And we will definitely drop those links in the show notes for all of our listeners. Thank you, Steve, so much for joining us today. It has been quite a enlightening conversation for myself and I'm sure for our listeners. So thank you. Thank you. All right, folks. Thank you for listening and coming on this journey with us. And if you enjoyed this conversation, please join us again next time for Entrust. Thanks for listening to the Entrust podcast. And if this resonated with you, be sure to subscribe or follow and leave us a review. We would also love for you to share with a friend because after all, trust is an infinite game and it's better together. And now, a quick word from our sponsors. There's a lot of uncertainty about the future, but one thing we are sure about is that the future is trust, which also happens to be the title of our forthcoming book. The Future is Trust, a practical approach to becoming a trust-centered leader will be dropping in late spring of this year. 
We are so excited to bring this reimagination of what a leadership book can be. Stay up to date on book launch details, special previews, exclusive pre-order specials, and more by visiting thefutureistrust.com.